If you've been around a little while, you have perhaps heard the following. God has a plan for your life. Perhaps you read it on a tract from Campus Crusades for Spiritual Laws. Yeah, I believe that was the first one. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Or you've heard it from a mother, a father, a grandparent, or a friend. The truth is usually communicated using a familiar verse of scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. This is the scriptural support that is often used. You're familiar with it. It says this, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And it's true. It's true. That this truth that God has a plan for you is evident. It's evident all the way through Scripture. From the creation of man and the first gospel delivered after the fall of man, all the way to the new Jerusalem in Revelation, this truth is evident that God loves you and he has a plan for your life. The question is, have you responded to the call of God in your life to place you in God's plan, to place you in the middle of God's plan? That is really the question. And if you have responded to the call, are you indeed living in the promise, living in the blessing and the protection of that calling? Tonight, we're going to take a look at being included in the plan of God. Tonight, we've come, I believe, to perhaps one of the most pivotal chapters in all the Bible. I say that all the time, and so you said, Charles, well, we've heard that before. But I'm going to say it again tonight anyways, because it's so pivotal. I mean, the whole Bible just kind of shifts gears and heads in a particular direction right here at this particular point in Genesis chapter 12. Tonight, we're going to look at the calling of Abraham. Abram, as his name was. Last week we left off. If you weren't here, I will say this, the app will get up to date this week. We were about three or four weeks behind and it's going to get up to date. Now I'm on tape saying it and so it's gotta happen, amen. But last week we left off at Babel and, and they were building the tower and this, this place that was going to reach the heavens, not in height, but to literally reaching the heavens and to the gods and calling them down to be with them, to worship those gods and to connect with those demonic powers. And we talked about Babel and Babylon being becoming at that point the center and the seat for false religion. And then God stepping into the middle of it all and confusing the language and not only confusing the language, but dividing mankind, dividing mankind and giving them over to the gods. And we talked about this whole idea, and if you probably want to go back and rehearse that message, but the whole idea there was God, and we talked about it in Deuteronomy 32, that God gave up the nations, that he literally disinherited the nations. He gave them over to what their heart's desire was, which was to worship the created thing and not the creator. And Paul said the same thing in Romans 1, and that's where he gets it from, laying out the, 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 the condition of man upon the face of the earth, going after and worshiping the created thing rather than the creator. And that's where we left off. But God doesn't just leave the world in that setting, in that situation. God doesn't just give up on his creation and say, okay, there you go, have at it, do what you will and just leave it alone. No, he has a plan. He has a plan to redeem the people of the world. He has a plan to bless the people of the world. He has a plan to have his own people in the world that are given grace and blessing. And you can be a part of that people. You can be a part of the people of God. We'll talk tonight about the very promise of God that brings blessing into your life today. If you are living in the blessing of God today, we're going to talk about the very promise that made that a reality, and we're going to talk about it tonight in Genesis chapter 12. So let's take a look at God's plan for his people. If you're taking notes, the first point is this. God calls you. God calls you. Let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 
12, verse one, it says this. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God calls out to you tonight, my friend. This section is a huge transition in the book of Genesis. From here on out, we'll see that God selected a person. In the chapter tonight, we'll see that God, he, in chapter 11, he disinherited the people, he divided mankind. But in chapter 12, he selects a person and he selects a people. He selects a person that would be the father of his people. From here on out, we're talking about the plan of God, that he is going to, through this plan, redeem people to himself. He's going to redeem the world. He's going to bless the families of the world. At the end of chapter 11, you see the beginning of the transition as the writer gives us the genealogy of Shem. You can look over there at some point, but at the end of chapter 11, we see after the whole confusion at Babel and the separation of mankind at Babel, then it, the writer transitions from there. He begins to focus on this particular lineage, this particular line, and it happens to be the line of Shem. Shem is really, he's the father, as we saw in the chapter of the genealogy of the three boys, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem is the father of Eber, and Eber is the, the name. He's the man. He's the name where we get the word, the term Hebrews. So when it's said that Shem is the father of Eber, he's the father of the Hebrews. And so from the line of Shem comes the, the, the people of God that are selected to be the people that would be his people that through through what happens in this people, that all the world would be blessed. All the families of the world would be blessed. And so the writer gives us the genealogy of Shem. He gives us Shem's genealogy and brings it all the way down to a man named Terah and his son Abram. So he brings Shem's genealogy all the way down to Terah and Abram, his son. And they're living in Ur of the Chaldees. They're living in the the the. the, the the nation of Babylon, if you will. There, there was, of course, the city of Babylon, but Babel, the, 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 the whole area is just steeped in this false religion. In fact, Chaldee, if you go back in some of the ancient texts, this term Chaldee, it's a regional name, but it's also kind of people of the Chaldees were people that were very much practiced and, and taught and entrenched in this ancient false religious system that, that had its birthplace at Babel. And so there, there they are at Ur, uh, Ur, Ur of the Chaldees. And so we have Terah and Abraham, or Abram at the time, and chapter 12 begins simply with God coming to Abram and talking with him and calling him to leave his land. Pick it up, look at it, read it again, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now this verse of scripture is almost reiterated in a text of scripture in the book of Acts, Acts chapter seven. You, you will remember when Stephen is kind of, um, you know, kind of preaching this sermon and, and at the end of it, he gets killed. But you know, that, that's, that's a bad day preaching, you know? <laughs> but anyways, there, there, there have been people that have, that have pre preached the gospel of Christ and literally been shot in the pulpit. And here, uh, Stephen is preaching and he's stoned at this particular time. But before that happens, he talks about the calling of Abraham. There in, in Acts chapter 7, and I'll put it up on the screen there. It's actually Acts chapter 7, verse 2. And this is what uh, Stephen says about the situation. He said, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. And so if you look at what Stephen says, if you look at what 
is written in Genesis, and you look at what Stephen says here, you can kind of, you know, there's, there's some interesting things to, to discover here. First, Stephen t- tells us that the God of glory appeared uh, to Abraham, the God of glory. We don't have time to track it down tonight. We will at some point. I say that a lot, but tonight we don't have to track, we don't have time to track all this down. But we will see as we go along that every one of the patriarchs and the great men of the Bible, the prophets of God, all had face-to-face meetings with the God of glory. They all had face-to-face meetings with the God of glory. The Lord appeared to Abram, in whom the author of Genesis refers to as the angel of Yahweh. The angel of Yahweh, and really, this is the, this is this a pre-incarnate Christ. Whenever you see this phrase, the angel of Yahweh, it's a pre-incarnate Christ. It's literally the second person of the Trinity. It's the God of glory. In fact, God, the first person, God the Father, says that he has put him, him, he's put him in the angel of Yahweh. The essence of the Father is in the Son. And so this is literally the God of glory. Now we've come, we have some information from the book of Jasher, and you remember from some pre- previous chapters that I discussed a little bit about, I didn't coin the term, but it, this is the term, biblically endorsed extra canonical books, okay? And the reason why they're biblically endorsed, there are books, and Michael Heiser said it from our stage, guess what? The biblical authors read books, There were other books. It wasn't just the Bible didn't appear in a vacuum and and just suddenly, oh, no, there were other pieces of literature. There were other histories being written at the time. And all of that informed the people and the writing. And the Bible specifically is that which is written when the Holy Spirit moved upon the hearts and lives of men and they wrote down what God wanted to be be read. But on, on a couple of occasions... In that, under that inspiration, those biblical authors actually refer to other books that were written. One of them happens to be the book of Jasher. And one of the places that its, that its historicity is appealed to is in Joshua chapter 10. And it's actually the day that Joshua cried out to the Lord that the sun would stand still. So you can look that up. And he actually says it this way. Hey, I'm not, it's as it, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like, I'm not crazy. This is written in, this is actually the way it's written in the book of Jasher. So, um, so he's appealing to the historicity of Jasher. Well, I've actually read the book of Jasher and there's some interesting information in there about Abram's relationship with Shem. And what's interesting is when we read through, now the Bible, the, the biblical author, the canonical book that we have, Genesis here, is written, and we skip through some genealogies, and we say, this guy begot this guy, and this guy begot this guy, and then, okay, come on, can't we get on with the, no, 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 all that's in there for a reason, and one of the things is that you can look at the dates of these guys, and I actually, this week, I actually sat down and totally geeked out on this for a little bit, and <laughs> did the math to discover that, yes, it's true that Shem would still have been alive when Abram was born. And from the book of Jasher, we, we learn that Abram actually kind of made some treks to visit Shem. And Shem, of course, was that patriarch of the family that became kind of the representative of, of worshiping God, of worshiping Yahweh God. And, and in that sense, he was priest of, of the God Most High. And so... So uh, Shem had taught Abram some stuff. So that when Abram is back in Ur of the Chaldees, back in the, just in the throes of the, of, the, of the completely pagan surroundings of the nation there, and the God of glory shows up to speak to him, there's a couple things going on. Number one, it's the God of glory talking to him. Number two, he's got a little bit of background about this particular God. And I think that it's, it's, it seems to me that in, the, in a lot of ways, God works like this in our lives, that, that he uses someone else to kind of lay some groundwork in our lives, 
to give us, uh, you know, to, to, get, to give us some education, to, to tell us some things about the Lord. And then God will literally show up in our lives. And because that person that came into our lives that laid some groundwork, now we're ready to receive from the God of glory and the calling of God comes to us. And just like Abram, he was ready to hear from the God of glory. The God of glory appeared to our father Abram when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Now, if you read chapter 11, the rest of it, You'll, you'd get the idea, you may get the inference that, that he left Ur and went to Haran and then God called him out of Haran. But this is, in, in that context there in chapter 11, the author is kind of giving you the, uh, you know, the, the, the scope of the, you know, kind of like, um, you know, the Google map of you, of, of, of the journey, really. And so, um, really, God appeared to him in Mesopotamia, in Ur, and then called him in that way. And before you heard the call of Christ, before Jesus Christ came knocking on your heart's door, the Holy Spirit came alongside you. And he, he began to work on you. And probably, probably, I would say almost to a person here that there was someone else that was actively involved in the work of God that took place in your life in, in, in calling you into the family of God. Because that's how God works. There's, a, there's someone that God uses that's instrumental in God laying the groundwork. And you can probably think about who that person was in your life right now. You can probably think back yeah, I remember it was, it, was, it, was, it was that person. Perhaps God is using someone else right now in your life to speak into your life, to lay the groundwork for what he wants to do. And then I think we need to, when the Lord does show up and he knocks on our heart's door and he begins to call, we need to, we need to open up our ears. We need to open up the door of our heart and say, yes, Lord, I, 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 I want to hear what you have to say. Do, do you want to hear what the, the God of glory has to say to you? Do you want to hear the God? If the God of glory was calling you right now. Right. Ring, ring, ring. Who is it? It's the God of glory. <laughs> Should I take it? Yeah. Amen. Take the call. Take the call because someone has laid the groundwork of what God wants to do in your life and, and the God of glory is calling and he's appearing to you and he wants to call you into the family of God. He wants to call you into a deeper and closer, closer walk with him, a closer relationship with him. And wow, we've got to be ready to hear the call of Christ. Now some of you have obeyed the call. And God is actually using you as one of these people that's coming alongside someone else that is going to also receive the call. And, 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 and he's putting things in your heart to say to them. Now, some of you want to be used to, to bring the gospel to bear on the situation because look at the world. It's a mess. It's a, the world's a mess, and, 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 the, and the world needs hope, and the world needs the Lord, and we need the word of God, and we need the love of God and the grace of God. And God wants to bring you into a situation where he wants you to just say something. Now, you don't have to get up and, and, and begin to preach and begin to pound a pulpit or open up a big you know, King James Bible from you know, the family. You know. Nobody has those anymore, right? Right? We used to have a coffee table in the house and it had a big Bible that was bigger than this table on it, right? And it had pictures in it. Some of those pictures were scary. <laughs> you know what? God wants to just use you, not to come off preacher or whatever, but just to simply say, bring the word of God to bear on someone's heart. You know what? There's, there's a famine in the land. Not of eating bread, but of hearing the word of the Lord. Like what you're experiencing right now is like 
like a Ruth Chris compared to what people out there are, they're, they're not hearing it. I talk to people every day, every day, and you do too, and I don't even need to tell you that there's a famine of hearing the word of God. And you may be the, the one person to lovingly and gracefully bring the word of God into someone's life and to pave the way for them to be able to hear the call of Christ upon their heart when the God of glory shows up on their doorstep. Amen? So God calls to you. God calls to you. And God called to Abram. And the call of God on Abram, the, the specific call of, of God to Abram, it came with two things. It came with a command, and it came with a promise. The call of God comes with a command and a promise. The God of glory spoke to Abram and gave him a command. What did he say? He said, get out of your country and go to the land that I will show you. He said, I want you to leave your land. I want you to get out of your country. I've got a whole new place for you. And, and, and when you get there, I'm going to lead you all the way. And when you get there, I'm going to show you that that's the place. Wow. Sometimes God, God, how many believe that God knows exactly what, what needs to happen in our life? And, 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 and sometimes it may be something simple. Sometimes it, it's, it's something like this where God says, get out of your country. Get out of your country, and I'm going to take you to the land, the land that I'm going to show you. And this is what he told Abram. God appeared to Abram in Ur of the Chaldees, and he told him to get out of Ur, out of Babylon. We see in Acts chapter 7, we referenced verse 2 in Stephen's message, but I want to come down a couple verses to verse 4. You'll see it on the screen this is what Stephen continued with. He said, then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and he dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. Where were they? Stephen is preaching after the ascension of Christ in Jerusalem. So there, this is all the way 2,200 years later and Stephen is proclaiming what has happened. He's taking it all the way back. He's connecting the dots for the people. In the first century, he's connecting the dots and he's saying, look, the God of glory came to our father Abram. And here's what happened. He called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He went to Haran. His father passed away and then he carried him all the way, brought him all the way to the land that we're here now in it. This is what happened. God calls him here out of Ur. He later, God calls his people out of spiritual idolatry. Spiritual immorality. He doesn't want that for us. People may think, well, I'm going this way. I'm going headlong in this direction. I'm going to do this. This is what's cool. This is the way it's going. This is where the culture is. I'm going this direction. God doesn't want you in spiritual idolatry. He doesn't, he doesn't want you in, in, in just giving yourself to the created thing. He knows that if you'll give your life to him, you'll have life and life to the full. And so he's got to call you out. The first thing he's got to do is he's got to call you out of your location. For Abram, it was ge geographical. For you, it's probably more spiritual. It may involve some geography. But God wants to call you out. And this is what God does throughout the Bible. He calls his people out. He calls Abram out of Ur. He calls his people, 400 years after this, he calls them out of Egypt, out of Egyptian bondage. Some 800 years later, he's going to call a remnant of people that have been taken into captivity back in the very Babylon that God's calling Abram out of. And he's going to call them people back to Jerusalem, back to worship him and build the temple and build the wall under Nehemiah. God calls his people out because he doesn't want us involved in spiritual idolatry and false worship, and giving ourselves for the created. We were, we were made for so much more. Why? Because we were made to live for the God, the God of glory. God calls us to come out from among them. This is the, God, this is the idea. 
Come out from among them. Come out and be free. You want to be free. Well, I want to, li- I want to be free. I'm just my own person, and I just got it all figured out, and I can philosophize with the best of them. God wants you to come out and truly be free. He wants you to be free. Coming out, coming out of the nation for Abram was putting God first. Coming out of his country was saying, okay, God, you're, you're number one, you're first. I'm not gonna have, there's gonna be no other God before you, God. There's going to be no other thing before you, God. I'm putting you first. And coming out, of the, coming out of his country, coming out of the nation, is putting God first. This is what it means to heed the command to come out and to put God first. This is what it means to build your house upon a rock. You want to have a sturdy house? You want, to have a, you want to have a life that means something? You want to have a life that means something all the way into eternity? Then, then build your house upon the rock of Christ Jesus. Come out of the nation, come out of whatever it is that, 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 that you have found yourself in and come out to the God of glory who loves you so much and knows exactly what you need. He's the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. This is what it means. Obeying the command is putting him first. Sometimes when there seems to be trouble, conflict, and strife all around in your life, it can be that it's the result of not having obeyed the command. I'm not saying all the time. I'm not saying every strife, every trouble. But I'm saying when you look at your life and every which way you turn, it's strife over here and trouble over here and problems over here and this isn't going well over here and this isn't going great over here. It can be. It can be. And you have to search your own life out and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about it. But it can be that it's because you haven't put God first. You haven't obeyed the command to come out to come out of your country, to come out. The priorities in your life are out of whack. God's not your all in all. And we sing, we sing, oh, God, you're my all in all. You're my all in all, you're my all in all. And we sing it, and we sing it, and we sing it. But you know what? It's not about singing about God being your all in all. What worship is about is declaring the reality and truth that our lives are in Christ. And so when we sing the songs, what is it? It's a declaration. It's a declaration to God. It's a declaration to the community of faith that we've gathered with to say, hey, we've been set free. He's he's put our feet up on a rock. He's awakened our soul. Whatever it is that we're singing, Lord, you're my all in all. You're my everything, Lord. You're my all in all. The building of the life that God wants you to have begins with obedience to the command, the command of the gospel, to make Jesus the Lord of your life. That's where it starts. How can can you be saved? How can you be saved? Confess with your heart. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord. And this, I say this when I lead people in Christ. It's not an act of language, linguistics. It's a declaration of the heart. It's a declaration of the heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Declare him Lord of your life and come out to a place that he's going to show you where you're going to be his and he's going to be yours and you're going to worship him in spirit and truth. Now the command. The calling comes with a command and a promise. The command comes with a promise and the promise is this. God wants to make you great. Look back at verse 1, 12, 1. Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. God wants to make you great. Problem is we want to make ourselves great in the way that we, see, that we think we got a plan for our lives. 
And we're going we're gonna to work this plan. And if we work this plan and it all comes to fruition, we're going to make our life great. But the, but the reality is that God's calling you, giving you a command, giving you a promise. And the promise is that he wants to make you great. I will make you a great nation. He was to leave his nation. And if he left his nation, God would make him a great nation. Now, first, I want to tackle this idea that God wants to make you great. Because some people, if I say that, you say, now, wait a second. That sounds like a, a too close to like a prosperity preaching. And prosperity preaching is in error where it's in error. But where the word of God clearly states, see, what happens with error in teaching is taking a truth. And it's what the devil does, too, right? Taking a truth and twisting the truth. And it becomes a lie. But the truth is still the truth. Amen? And the bottom line is God wants to make you great and he wants to make Abram great and he wants to make him a great nation through him. He wants to make his name great. And the scripture is clear that God wants to make you great. You say, how's that? Paul put it this way. He says, you are his what? Masterpiece. He didn't say you were his so-so thing. Well, you know, we got you kind of back together, Humpty Dumpty and whatever, and we got it patched up, and it's kind of good, and back up on the wall. No, you're, you're his masterpiece. You're, 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 he wants, he's making you great. He wants to make you great, and you're his masterpiece. And if God had a, the God of glory had a museum, and he, and he took you for a tour of the museum, he'd say, yeah, here's, a, here's one of my great masterpieces. And he wouldn't come to the next one and go, ah, here's one that didn't quite work out. You know, it's just, you know, we're still, you know, trying to figure this one out over here. God wants to make you great. You could say that God's gospel plan from the beginning was this. Make people great again. <laughs> You see, something happened with us. Something happened with us, and God says, okay, it's okay. It's okay because I'm going to make you great again. Because I'm a great God. And I, and, and I have greatness for you. And whenever I, whenever I call to you and you respond and obedient to the command, I'm going to give you a promise and I want to make you great. I want to make you a great nation and I want to make your name great. And I want to make you great and I'm going to do it and I'm going to bring it all the way to the completion. And here's the completion. Paul tells us in Philippians, we'll get to it on, on uh, Wednesday night. He who began a good work will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Yes. He's working on something. And he's going to do it. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to follow him. Follow hard after him and have great success. None of these things are bad words. They've been twisted by some, but I'm reclaiming them right now because it's what God says in his word. And, I, and I'm stealing it back from the one who stole it for a purpose other than what God had intended for it. Because God is only in the business of doing things great. Amen? And is he working on you? That he's in, in the business of making you great again. And that could be his slogan. He never, he did, God didn't consult me or anyone else on it. I'm going to get hats. <clears throat> but let me tell you this. Now, here's where the problem comes in. He's going to make, are we running out of time? He's, now listen, the, the command and the promise Here's the promise. I'm going to make you a great nation. There's only one problem with that as far as Abram's concerned. And we see it back in chapter 11, verse 30. You'll see it up on the screen. But Sarah, his wife, was barren. She had no child. Uh-oh. It's a problem with this whole thing. God's going to call get out of your country. Leave your family, leave your country, leave your family, get out from, from this whole mess, and, and I'm going to take you to another land, I'm going to show it to you, and I'm going to make you a great nation there. Oh, by the way, oh, last chapter told us your wife is barren. There's been no fruit 
of Sarah's womb. You later see, as we'll go through the chapters here, you'll later see that Abram is wealthy. Okay? Just wait. <laughs> okay? Just stay with us in the study. As we go through here, by the time we get to chapter 14, Abram is wealthy, a wealthy guy. He's got 300 people in his entourage. You think Jay-Z and some of these guys have a big entourage? No, they don't have an entourage compared to what Abram had. He had 300 people in his entourage, but he had no fruit. From, Abram, from Sarah, his wife, he had no fruit. He doesn't have fruit of his own. And God wants you to be fruitful. And so obedience to the command will, be, will bring about the promise, God's fruitfulness in your life. Now, I, now, let me preface, God's fruitfulness. God wants to bring his fruitfulness into your life. And where there was barrenness in our lives in the areas that God doesn't want there to be barrenness, God, when we obey the command and submit to the promise, receive the promise, God's going to bring fruitfulness to the areas that God wants to bring that fruitfulness in. And God wanted to bring fruitfulness into this particular area of Abram's life, which was lacking. And not only that, but the promise is not that I'm just going to give you a child. I'm going to make you a great nation. But your wife is barren. And so he wants to bring fruitfulness into Abram's life personally. And God wants to do the same thing into our lives. You see, there, before we knew Christ, there was some real, real areas of barrenness. There was an area of barrenness in our lives, a barrenness of righteousness in our lives. And God wants to bring the fruitfulness of righteousness into our lives. He wants to literally bring a harvest into our lives of righteousness. And then he wants to bring some other fruit into our lives where there was some real barrenness. And, he, and, the, and it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He wants to bring the fruit of the Holy Spirit into our lives. And so that we have, what is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, all those things that really can be seen as the descriptors of the love of God, but God wants to bring it into our lives. And not only just, he doesn't want it, you know, have you ever been to one of these, you know, places where, you know, we, hey, we've got some fruit trees, but the fruit looks all, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, just small and withered and whatever. Well, this isn't fruit, you know? No, no, God wants to, God wants to bring fruitfulness into our lives in abundance, he wants there to be fruitfulness in our lives in abundance. Christian, he wants to bring an overflow, an abundance of his fruitfulness in your life. Amen. Now, here's the question. Is there an overflowing amount of love in your life? Whoa. Let's just stay. Let's... Is there? Is there an overflowing and abounding amount of love in your life? Well, God wants that for you. And God wants that for me. Is there an overflowing and an abounding amount of joy in your life? God wants that for you. Peace. All of it. All of the fruit of the Spirit. And this is what God wants to do. Where you were poor or barren, God wants to bring riches and fruitfulness. And this is what um, God said, actually through Hannah, when she dedicated Samuel to the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8, he, he says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them amongst princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. And that's kind of a picture of what God wants to do with us. Well, how, do, how does it happen? You need only to trust God and obey the command and see what God will do. Do you have a, a lack in your life? Do you have emptiness? 
Look in your heart right now. Look into your life. Take survey of your own situation. Do you have lack? Do you have emptiness? God wants to bring blessing, fruitfulness, fullness, fullness of joy, fullness of his love, fullness of his grace. Trust God and obey the command to come out of your country, to come out from among them and truly be free. And then what happens is that we, because we are blessed and fruitful, we become a blessing. Look, that's what it says. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Because when God makes you great and makes you abound in the fruit from the barrenness that you had and brings the fruit into your life, you're going to abound so much so that you're going to be a blessing in other people's lives. And I've seen it time and time again. You've heard it said before. We're blessed to be a blessing. It's true. Here it is right here. I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a great nation and you're going to have a great name and... You're going to be a blessing. Amen? Amen? One last point, and we'll wrap it up. God wants to cover you with blessing and protection. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God wants to cover you with blessing and protection. God brings covering and protection upon his people. When you are his, he protects and covers. Amen? Yes. Yes. Christian? Mm-hmm. When you are his, God protects and covers. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. In other words, I've got your back, Abram. Abram, we're going to be in this together and you're going to come out of your country and you're going to leave your nation and your family and you're going to go to this new place, this new land that I'm going to show it to you when you get there and and I'm going to make you a great nation and you're going to be a blessing and because that you have obeyed the command and, and put yourself in a place to receive the promise, I've got your back. I'm going to bless those. I'm going to be right there with you, Abram, and I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you. And what can be said of this? Other than this, God honors and rewards allegiance to him. Do you have an allegiance to the Lord? You know? We, I grew, we all grew up in school, right? Saying, I pledge allegiance, right? I pledge allegiance to the flag. And, and that's great. But, but what this is about is an allegiance to the Lord. And when we have an allegiance to the Lord, God honors that. He honors and rewards it. There would be a time that Abram's enemies would curse him. There would be a time when the enemies of the nation that would come from him, as this promise be, begins to be fulfilled, the nation that comes from Abram would literally, the surrounding nations would hire soothsayers to come and, cur- and put a curse upon the people that come from Abram. Remember that story? Yeah, you know I'm talking about Balaam in Numbers. And when Balaam opened his mouth, what happened? God stopped the curse and he opened his mouth and only blessing came out. On this particular occasion, the, the, the one who was actually paid to curse Israel, he couldn't curse Israel, he couldn't curse the people of God, of Abraham's seed, only blessing came out. God can stop the curse of the enemy. Amen? Some of you need to, need to, have, need to have God step in and stop the curse of the enemy in your life. The Apostle Paul, we, we, we should join with the Lord in this, and, and the Apostle Paul put it this way to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 12, verse 14. He said, bless those who persecute you, and bless and do not curse. And so what the Lord says that he is going to be there for us. 
But what he says for us to do is he wants us to, to bless those who persecute us and bless and do not curse. And really, it's the exact opposite of what we feel like doing. Amen? Because when we have a Balaam that's coming against us, when we have somebody that's coming against us and trying to bring a curse upon us, trying to bring negativity, trying to bring these things into our lives, it, the, exact, the opposite of what we want to do is to, bring bless, to bless that person. Shoot, we, we, we want to we'll get on Snapchat and we'll get on all kinds of stuff and we'll, we'll, tell, we'll, we'll, we'll tell all of our friends about what happened. I, I see it. All this stuff going on. This is the exact opposite of what we feel like doing. Let me tell you. It's such a Jesus thing to do. <laughs> right? It's such a Jesus thing to do. Now, this past June when I was at the uh, Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference, Pastor Brian Broderson of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa said something in his message uh, that just really stuck out to me. And he said this. He said, the church should be doing things that aren't predictable. We should be doing things that shock and amaze people. Sometimes the church can become, and Christians can become predictable. And when we become predictable, there's a chance, there's a good chance that we've stepped over into, into being judgmental and even being vengeful. And, and, and when we do that, we become very predictable. And what Brian was saying is the Jesus thing to do, Jesus went around and just everything he did, people just were like, wow, I can't believe. Wow. He did that. The woman caught in adultery. The, the, the people, the way he would respond to questions, the way he would do things, everything left people in wonder and amazement. Like, who is this guy? And, and Brian was trying to bring the point to, to bear upon us pastors is we as the church, we need to be people, we need to be people of God that do stuff that like just, just, just puts people in just stun and shock. And when we do that, we're being more doing things in the mold and the, the way that Jesus wants us to be because of what he's done in our lives and calling us out of the nation and setting us apart to be people who can bless the nation. And when we're put in that position, we, 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 we do better when we do the Jesus thing because it, it just shocks and amazes. When we come with love and blessing instead of judgment and vengeance. Vengeance. Jesus consistently did things that amazed people. And we should be so full of grace, the grace of Jesus, that we shock people. We should be so full of grace that we just shock the hell out of people. <laughs> wow. What? I would have never predicted. I want you to get this because it floored me. Like in some ways, the church has become very predictable. But Jesus was not predictable. He left people in shock and just stunned. He left people standing around saying, who in the world is this guy? We've never heard anybody talk like this guy. This is one of... One of the guards that was sent to arrest Jesus, this was the report. We've never heard anybody talk like this guy. Because he shocked and amazed. With what? His love, his grace, the way he did it. Because, you know, when he came the first time, he didn't come with a rod of vengeance. He came to set liberty to the captives. To set at liberty to the captives. And that's what we want to do. So... Back, back to, and let's wrap it up. Last point, last point, believe it or not. Who believes me? No, sh no hands. Trust me, this is the very last point. It's a truthful audience. This is the last point, and I want you to look at it. Look at the end of verse three. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Lastly, a hint of the gospel. A hint of the gospel of Christ. 
The Lord says to him, Abram, and you all the families of the world will be blessed. Abram, when you obey this command, I'm going to bring about a promise, a blessing that is going to be so more far-reaching than you can even imagine. I am going to shock you, Abram. When you obey this command and receive this promise, all the families of the world will be blessed through you. What I'm going to do through you, through your obedience and faith, Abram, is that I'm going to bring about the Savior of the world through your people, through the nation, this great nation that is going to come from you. I'm going to bring the Savior of the world into the world, and he's going to bless all the people of the world. He will come and declare liberty to the captives. He'll come and declare liberty to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and to all of the people of the coastlands. Amen? Remember what Peter said in his message on the day of Pentecost, and we talked about last week, tying Pentecost and what God did in the languages that were spoken unlearned at Pentecost was a signal of the reversal of the disinheritance of the nations at Babel. Mm -hmm. And so on that very morning, when Peter preached, he came to the conclusion of his message and he says this to them. In Acts 2, verse 39, he says, for the promise is to you and to your children. What promise? The promise... The promise is to you and your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. The plan of God is available to whomever the Lord our God will call. Who's he calling? Who's he calling? His call is going out across this earth. He is calling out from the north. He's calling out from the south. He's calling out from the east. And he's calling out from the west. And the question is, do you hear the call? Can you hear, can this generation hear the call of the Lord? the God of glory, because he's calling. He's surely calling. And my question to you tonight is have you picked up the call? Have you answered the call? And have you become obedient to the call and invited in to live in the promise of the blessing of the plan of God?